Da 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 Boondoggle Podcast. Here we go. Welcome to the Boondoggle podcast. Yes, it's a podcast with me, Alex Boone, where I read stories from a book that I found. Yes, I've had to squeeze in this. I mean, we're close to the line here as I record this. I send them out into the ether, into the abyss. Drop a little boondoggle in your pothole, your pigeonhole, uh, on a Thursday. And it is now a Tuesday. Making this, because with all the um, editing out of obscenities and offensive items and language, you know, it takes a while. So we're down to the line on this one. I've had to just squeeze it in because... Given that we're in a lockdown, um, my housemate, uh, you know, as most people don't, hasn't left the flat. And which means that I it's, I struggle to record this with someone else in the flat because I, yeah, I get into a, not a trance, but a zone, a, a manic... Um, uh, kind of way of thinking and behaving, um, and that's and just that's how it, that's how it is. I I can't fully express myself, you know. I can't immerse myself in in the character. Ian, F- McSh- what's his name? I was going to say Ian Fleming, then Ian McShane. Ian McShane also, but I was. Who's Ian McKellen? Ian McKellen wouldn't perform Shakespeare with his flatmate in the room. And this is a bit below that, but it's, you know, you've got to respect the actor and the performer. And sometimes, yeah, it's hard to get in the zone. So I've had to wait till he goes out and then... Pull up the microphone and get boondogging. Uh, and today I'm in my room, which is why you might be able to hear a squeaky chair. But I do feel like it's, you know, I'm performing a public duty these days. I'm not quite a frontline worker. Um, I'm, uh, you know, I'm like a... Oh, this chair's annoying. I'm, I'm going to stand up. Standing up for the pod. Okay. Here we go. That's the way. Aha. Uh-huh. Aha. Uh-huh. I like it. Right, so we're standing up. We're like, you know, the radio presenters 
radio presenters don't stand up. I'm like a bloody performer, you know, now. Ian McKellen would not sit down and perform Shakespeare. Um, so, yeah, I'm like a frontline worker. Um, well, I'm not actually frontline, but I'm like the women that during the war that weren't allowed to go and fight. So they stayed home and sewed the uniforms. Um, and they, I think they did other things as well. But, you know, I'm supporting the troops by preserving their sanity in a way, um, because I know that people's mental health has definitely been suffering during this time. And I hope this podcast has helped, in a way, because it's made you realise you're not alone. Because out there somewhere is somebody writing ridiculous, stupid stories and then leaving them in a bush. So clearly, they're not well. But lucky for me, I find them, and then I read them to you, my sweet, my lovely boondoggers. Okay, and now we will begin with our first story of the week, reuniting with our friend from last week, Mudguard Stripling. And this story is called A Long Way from Dingo Dongos. The tannoy buzzed into action. Good day, Australia. Welcome to Oz Airways. <coughs> For our flight to Vancouver. Before we set off, may I please extend it warmest <coughs> welcomes uh, to a certain Rogan Hogan. All the passengers turned towards Mudguard Stripling, a.k.a. Rogan Hogan. She smiled politely and wished she was back at Dingo Dongo's, her stripping establishment in Sydney, with Jen Asflick, her guru and mother she never had. National treasure, Rogan Hogan. She's filming a new series in in Canada, just like her parents. Well, sorry for your loss, mate. It was a uh, cows, wasn't it? Trampled by cows. Mate, if I'd put a bet on how your parents would kick the bucket, oh, it wouldn't have been cows. It would have been uh, wasps. Loads of killer wasps stinging their eyes and their anus. Always thought that'd be the way. But, Rogan, we... Uh, we had no idea you, you where you bloody got. One, th- one thing you popping out your mother on the side of a m- cliff. Next you piss off without a trace. Fucking hell, Rogan. Crazy times, eh? Anyway, I'll put in an extra good effort getting us to Vancouver today. Uh, got to protect our national treasures. Tre- tre- treasures, I mean. Yeah, have a good flight. Uh, yeah, I hope I do too. Good luck. The whole plane erupted in applause. Mudguard held her hand out in a slight wave, forced a smile, then returned her head to the front of her seat. This was not her day. After a couple of flights, they took a drive to a hotel as near to Vancouver Island as possible. 
They headed up to the room and Mudguard dumped herself on the bed. I made, I knew it. I knew they slept in a hotel overnight. The cheeky twats. Stu looked at her sympathetically. We do. But your parents always insisted on keeping it real. That's why they're national treasures. And that's why they're getting a statue. And that's why you'll be sleeping on the island in whatever the fuck you get together. Uh, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's okay. I bloody love nature anyway. I was raised on this stuff. No, no, not, not a problem for me. Whilst Rogan was looking away, Stu turned to Bunce, rubbing his fingers together in the universal sign for money. Uh, 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 Rogan, here's your bag. It was your parents. Uh, I thought you might uh, need it, said Bunce as he placed down a large khaki rucksack. She stared at it blankly, then remembered her role. Oh, yeah, 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 I love, love this stuff. Uh, Glad, glad to have it back. Uh, Cheers, Bunce. Right, enough pissing around here. Much as I love, much, much as I love staring at backpacks, this sure ain't tally, said Stu as he ushered them all out of the hotel and onto a boat to take them to the island. The plane moored up in the shallows and they all hopped off. Hi, sir. It's pretty late now, eh, Stu? How about, how about some lunch? Asked Mudguard. Right you are. He reached into his rucksack and pulled out two hulking great big lunches. He handed one to Bunce and kept one for himself. Your parents always insisted they catch their own lunch. Traps and all that bollocks. More real. For the tally, remember? That's why they're national treasures. And that's why you should too. Inside each lunch was a BLT, a frube, an apple, a breakaway bar and a penguin bar. A breakaway bar and a penguin, she thought. That's where all the money went. She gritted her teeth and accepted her predicament. Oh, uh, yeah, of course. I knew you'd agree, said Stu. Bunce and Stu gobbled their lunches down while Mudguard gazed around at the rainforest. Her home for the next few weeks, it was a dense thicket of trees and shrubbery and as wet as a bathroom floor following a particularly splashy bath. Ah, so, er... Oh no, so, er, Rogan, said Bunce. So, er, Rogan, said Bunce. What we uh, usually do is, uh, with your uh, appearance, is, uh, is start with shelter. Do you think you could build yourself a shelter? Bunce plonked a camera on his shoulder. Oh, no, no problem, mate. Oh, no shelter like a dog knows his own behind. Uh, perf- perfect. Already when you are, Rogan. She was a long way from Dingo Dongos now.
The truth was, she didn't have a bloody clue how to build a shelter. The last time she built one, she was ten years old, and that was for her dolls. And it was made of books, two books on each side, and one on top. But there weren't any books in the rainforest, and if there were, they wouldn't be big enough to build a shelter for a human being. But the cameras were rolling, so she had to look like she knew what she was doing. She traipsed through the thicket and began to talk, not truly knowing the next word that would fall from her mouth. Uh, shelter is a uh, bloody brilliant, you know. If you uh, if you ain't got shelter, what have you got? Ground, and I guess you've got the ground, but not not if you're in the sea, though. No shelter, and in the sea, what have you got then? You just wet. Uh, Rogan. Bunce interrupted. Sorry to uh, interrupt, but you're not really getting to the point. You're talking shit! Stu blurted out. Oh, uh, uh, yeah, yeah, was I? Uh, so, sorry about that. Let's do it again, said Bunce. She darted her eyes about, looking for a way out. Then she saw it. A giant fallen tree. So old and overgrown, it had become part of the forest floor. It was hollowed out in the middle, forming a mossy cave. Oh, my parents always said the best shelter is one that you don't have to build. You save time and energy. It's important out in these parts. I am bloody hungry too. Look what we have here. A perfect cave. I guess I'll settle down here then. She approached the tree cave and threw her bag down. And nice and warm. Then she heard a grumble. <laughs> oh, shitty hell! She jumped back. A paw hit the floor and a dark figure emerged. Yes, a bear. Oh, shit, we should go, boss, shouldn't we? Bun said. Keep it rolling, Bunce. This girl's about to go head over biscuit. And there we have it, another cliffhanger ending in the story of Mudguard Stripling. Another, you know, as I said last week, can you offend an Australian? I guess by the end of this story... We'll find out, because of all the... Well, if I've had complaints, then I guess Arvilla will have offended an Australian. But, you know, we're all... It's, it's how we do it, the Aussies and the Pommies. Um, we've got this, you know, back-and-forth bants going on uh, over, the, over the seas. And uh, so... Yeah, it's playful, playful bants, isn't it? I feel like um, Rogan or Mudguard. Sometimes she went a bit New Zealand, because I guess they're just the nicer, nicer version of Australians, aren't they? I just want to say, Mudguard is in a pickle, and I just don't because obviously we know that she doesn't know anything about the outdoors, and um, 
She knows nothing about bears. Um, she knows nothing about bears. Uh, so how will she be able to use her stripping knowledge to defeat the bear? Well, maybe she doesn't need to defeat the bear, you know. Maybe she can work with the bear. I don't know, all right? Once again, I don't know. But tune in next week to find out. I've got back into running again recently. I've got a train for a bloody marathon. It's probably not going to be on, but I've been pressured into it, and now I've got to do it. Um, And you do feel smug after a little morning run. And I've been making an effort to, you know, say your good mornings to my fellow runners. Because in my head, we're out there. And a good morning to another... You don't say good morning to someone who's not running. And why is that? I think it's because, really, when you say good morning to another runner, you're saying, aren't we great? Aren't we great being out here this early? Doing our runs. You don't say good morning to a walker or a cyclist because they're they're in a different um, in a different category. They're in a different ball game. You say good morning to your other runners. And the other day, a woman she I was saying my good mornings, and I, and she went to air high five me. All COVID friendly air high five. There's about two meters between us. But on the other hand, she was carrying a bag of dog dirt. Yes, stinky dog dirt. But here's the weird thing. There was no dog. What do you think of that? And I didn't realise at the time, I was caught up in the moment, the beautiful um, camaraderie we had with our fellow human, our fellow runner. And I did my air high five and I saw the bag of dog dirt. And then I got home and I thought, where had that bag come from? I hope it was dog dirt, but you never know. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't criticise her anyway. Um, because she's spreading joy around the Fallowfield Loop with her air fives. And I'm spreading it with my good mornings. And together we'll bring, together Together, well, you couldn't say together in the same sentence if it was a real slogan. Um, I've never felt more like... If you, there's a podcast called Sleep With Me. Not sexual. Sleep With Me. He, It's just how we get to sleep, basically. And he rambles nonsense. And I just... I just thought... just A thought just came over me. That I'm... Not far from him. The trouble is, he's trying to ramble nonsense. And I'm trying my very best to talk some sense. But, yeah. I guess it wouldn't be... uh, I'm not getting a job on the breakfast show anytime soon. I can guarantee that. Okay. Onwards and onwards. Here we go into our next story. And this story is called Journey to Pinkleton. Pinkleton is just north of Chiselworth. 
slightly south of Parpsbury, and a hop, skip and a jump from Bing Bong Bastardshire. The manor was home to Mr Pinkleton, son of Lord Pinkleton, and heir to the exceptionally large Pinkleton estate, I do say so indeed I do. Once a month Mr Pinkleton sets upon the organisation of a rather fine evening of dancing and, ooh, madam, yes pleases, at his residence. He invites the finest dames around to partake in his radiance, as well as some rather less wealthy gentlemen than himself, so as to secure the finest totty for himself. So every month many bachelorettes would don their hoity-toity avago in this outfits, and hope a member of the gentleman may approach them and say, oh, You've tarted yourself up a bit ever so well, fancy a boogie. And that was the done thing, so it was. Not far from Pinkleton is the village of Parpsbury, just north in fact, and a hop-skip and a roly-poly from Bing-Bong Bastardshire. This is home to the young and blossoming Parpsbury girls, Jemima and Marjorie. The Parpsbury Manor radiates excellence that could be felt in the outskirts of Bing-Bong Bastardshire, with its rather large lake and cement and gravel and what not that is used for buildings. For however, it was forever overshadowed by the Pinkleton estate, simply because it consists of more bricks, more cement and more lakes. Jemima, my sister dear, help me decide on a gown for Pinkleton's on Friday. Oh, I'm ever so excited, yes I am. I just don't understand why you have not been over to Pinkleton's yet, for you've been of age for a year now. Marjorie was staring at herself in the mirror as she spoke, repositioning her dress from time to time. Why, Marjorie, there is little for me in the Pinkleton estate. I am not troubled by the trifles of the heart. A man would never let me rejoice in the pleasures of fishing as I do so desire as I do. Jemima, it is unbecoming for a woman to be so enamoured with fish. Do you think Mr. Pinkleton... Do you think Mr. Pinkleton will see me in this dress and say, Oh, gosh, I'd sure like a squeeze on her bosoms. Do you think he might, Jemima? Marjorie twirled herself around, still unable to remove her eyes from her own reflection, and pushing her chest out as if Mr. Pinkleton were right there. Without lifting her head from her book, Jemima replied, I don't even know how you love Mr. Pinkleton so. Oh, I suppose because I've never met the man, one cannot fall in love. Why, no, it's just he's hardly a looker, is he? He looks like he could eat an apple through a tennis racket. Jemima, how could you say that? Of course it's not for his looks. The truth is... The man has something uh, that could make me smile for a dozen lifetimes. Oh, Marjorie, what's that then? Money! He's got about twice what we do, she tittered. <laughs> Pinkleton has far more land, and his staff would outnumber ours and simply beat them to a pulp were there to be a battle between the two houses. Well, I must say, Marjorie, it's not a sign of optimism if one enters into a marriage expecting a, a bloodbath. Well, that's the thing. If we get married, there won't need to be. 
said Marjorie. Besides, the biggest quarrel I have is our lack of lakes. We have a lake, Marjorie. It's far bigger than both of Pinkleton's, and it's far more abundant with fish. Fish of many sizes and weights. What a delightful place it is. I'm overcome with ecstasy at the mere thought of it. Fish, Jemima, is that all you care about? Why, I'd like to smack you square in the head with a trout if you continue talking nonsense. You know what Papa thinks of your love of fishing. I do not care for how large or fishy our lake is. Everybody knows two is better than one. Jemima gave up the argument and buried her head in her book once again. Jemima, will you answer my question? Marjorie said. Is this dress suitable? Well, of course it is, if you want old Toothy about your business. I'm sure he'll latch them firmly upon your bosom. Marjorie finally took her eyes off her own reflection and glared at Jemima, still engrossed in her reading. You haven't removed your eyes from the page. What even is it you're reading? She stomped over to Jemima's seat and tore the book from her grasp. The Great British Guide to Angling? What does this even mean? What on earth is angling? Why, it's fishing, Margie. Fish? Again? Well, Jemima, it looks like you're angling for a thumping. She swung the book with full force and clonked Jemima on her forehead, knocking her out cold. She placed the book neatly on the table and returned to her reflection. Mr. Pinkleton, you will be mine, and I shall be yours. It is just so. The evening soon came when the two Parpsbury ladies would make the journey to Pinkleton. As Samuel Parpsbury, their father, bid the two farewell, he said, Now, Jemima, I hear your sister here walloped you with a copy of the Great British Guide to Angling. She did, Papa, said Jemima expectantly. Well, I hope she knocked some sense into you. It's Fisher Man, not Fisher Lady. Now get out there and find yourself a husband. One with at least two lakes, regardless of size. Before Jemima could protest, he had closed the door on the both of them. Jemima glared their glare as sisters do, that said, Oh, you little shit, what you gone and done that for? Mr. Pinkleton greeted them upon arrival. He held Marjorie's hand as she disembarked. Good evening. How does he sound? Good evening, ladies. Yeah. Good evening, ladies. I must say, the gentlemen have been awaiting the day. When the path begins, attended Pingleton. Marjorie tittered <laughs> and looked into his eyes, partly as to avoid the buck teeth that had been passed down through generations of slight inbreeding in the Pinkleton family. He held out his hand for Jemima, but she refused. A lady does not need assistance in every matter. She puts her mind to. Oh, Jemima! Terribly feisty one, aren't you? She rolled her eyes, 
then caught those of the man standing beside her. A hairy fellow indeed. He looked like he hadn't seen a razor in weeks, nor a hairdresser. But he had been scrubbed up as well as possible for this affair. Pinkleton, who is this? Oh, don't mind him. He's just some distant cousin. Or, I've got, I got red, name, red name here a little bit. Oh, don't mind him. He's just some distant cousin or something like that. Probably adopted. The man held out his hand and spoke in some accent she had never heard before. Hello, love. I'm Tomo. Jemima. She felt her face glow bright red and her knees tremble. As for a reason she could not comprehend. She drew his hand to her lips and kissed it. And it smelt like fish. Well, I think there'll be more of that next week. The the life of the the Pinkleton, the Pinkleton estate and the Parpsbury girls. We'll have to find out what happens at well. Well, Marjorie, she wants to get old Pinkleton between her bosoms, and we'll have to find out if she manages that next week. But look who look what. Look what would have it, but old Jemima Parpsbury, she seems to have found a fishy little man that she likes. When she thought all her love was, um, could be just all she had love for was fish. But look at her now, a fishy, fishy man, oh Tomo, and... That's it's just a, it's a it's a classic tale, similar to Pride and Prejudice, Middlemarch, all the greats, and now Journey to Pinkleton. And there'll probably be spark notes um, uh, on that in the future, and if. Um, yeah, if you're the creator of Sparknotes, or I don't know how it works, if it's a public, um, publicly, you know, anyone could submit anything to it, or not, or if you have to work for Sparknotes, but either way, come to me and I can give you a analysis of that um, story and, you know, all the subtext, your AO4, your context, um and all that stuff, alternative interpretations, I can give you that for this um, thing, even though it's the first time I've ever read it. Just because, even though I might not have written all these stories, I've got a bloody good brain for analysis. And those Parpsbury ladies are fine young ladies, I must say. And I know the ACDC guys, and they're loud. Have you seen them live? Oh baby. Oh baby. I know the Oh baby. I know the Oh I know the ACDC. Oh I know the Oh I know the Oh I know the ACDC. Oh I know the Oh I know the Oh I know the ACDC. Oh baby. Oh baby. Oh baby. Oh baby. Oh baby. Oh baby.
So I watched the other week my octopus teacher and I know it's been on uh, it's been on Netflix for a few months now and I've uh, I often well things that are Netflix originals I often I wait for people to watch them before um and give a little you know wait till people have said yeah that's a good thing to watch it's worth your time before I spend my time on it because there's a lot of crap on there but this Octopus teacher is a beautiful tale of a man who basically falls in love with an octopus and he he's, he's going through a troubled time in his life kind of depression you could say and uh then he just gets in the sea and he meets this octopus this tiny little guy and have I spoken about this before? I don't know. He meets the octopus and he just starts, um, you know, hanging out with him. Goes back every day. I don't know what his wife thinks, but he's going back every day. And the octopus, they're like, it's like any human relationship. They get to know each other. The octopus is a bit shy. He reaches a tentacle out and then he caresses him with his little tentacles. Each sucker, one at a time feeling him out and it's um it's quite a it's a really it's a beautiful film and a real life affirming documentary about nature and love and it just makes you think octopuses you know i used to think they're bloody aliens that have landed on earth um but actually maybe this is more reason to think that basically there, you can see they've got minds. More so than most other things in the sea. Or the world, other than humans. But you you can see something in their eyes. You can see that they've got... I don't know, you just think they've got emotions, you know? It's amazing. And I, you know... I decided to write a poem on the matter of... The octopus. A man starts hanging out with his octopus. At first she's all shy and nervous. He reaches his hand towards her tentacle, but she hides under her rock. A week later, they're basically doing everything possible without shagging. Real getting amongst each other's bodies and rubbing up and down. Six months on, he sees her in her den with another octopus. He strolls across the beach so depressed he hasn't even taken his flippers off. He's doing those big strides, getting his knees all up in the air, and he's crying. Next day, his octopus lover is dead. Because that's what happens when an octopus has kids. Their lives are over. If only there were octopus suffragettes. So that's something I wrote in tribute to the octopus teacher. And, um, yeah, it's uh might go in a collection of poetry one day. Weird that, that, you know, you might think it's weird that I would write a poem, given that I've, you know, I would just read out other people's stories all, all every week. 
but sometimes I get a little inspiration to just try and be as good as whoever wrote The Boondoggle. And I might not be there yet, but I'm just trying. And that's what life's about. Trying. Or many um, Eastern philosophers, or many Eastern philosophies submit to the philosophy that don't try. Either way, try or not. So I guess it's time to bid you farewell for for a week or so. And um, I don't know what else to say. All I can say is farewell. You know the score. Follow me on the socials if you want. I don't know why you would because I don't tend to... Uh, post on there but it gets the numbers up and as I said earlier in the series we want to get this podcast to um, somewhere in the top 100 of the year uh, in its particular category whatever that is Um, and we want to get in some lists next year positive lists that is and yeah it just helps if you talk about us and I say us as if there's a team. There's no team. There's I. And there's an I. In I. And yeah, so we'll get up there. We'll get up there. But most of the, I think this podcast mainly spreads by word of mouth, which is unusual for a podcast, but I like it. We're a cult podcast. There'll be a documentary made about this podcast in 50 years time and they can use this clip from it and then it'll make it seem like I am a wizard I'm not I'm just a man alright I, I should go now we should all go we should all get some sleep and because it's a big day tomorrow we've got to be up and at it I don't know what you're doing but whatever day tomorrow is for you seize it go get it kid all right see you later kaboop see you later boondoggers and keep on boondogging baby the podcast's over